0: Hi, welcome to the Mohua show. My name is Mohua Chinnappa, and I am an author, entrepreneur and ex-housewife. This podcast is about everything from business to technology to arts to lifestyle, but done and spoken, imaandari se. Hi, in today's episode, we have with us Dr. Shalini Lal, a seasoned professional and expert. With over 25 years of experience, she has seen the challenges and opportunities of organizational transformation firsthand. She's the co founder of Uncube, an advisory and education provider around the future of work, and a regular writer on organizations. With her wealth of knowledge, academic background and board positions, she's the perfect person to guide us through the future of work, which is a very interesting topic. Welcome, Shalini, in today's episode. Tell us a little about your background and journey in the field of organizational development. How did you come about this entire field, which is, of course, the need of the hour, you know, and post-pandemic, a lot of organizations have looked at many, many areas that were a challenge in the past.
1: How did you come about it? Thank you. Thank you, Mawa, for Uh, calling me on your show, delighted to speak about that. Uh, But I will have to take you back a few decades, if that's all right. Uh, So I got interested in organizational behavior, which is the functional discipline which informs organizational development, uh, when I was at business school. And uh, uh, Ayam Ahmedabad, uh, and this is a lesser-known fact about Ayam Ahmedabad, uh, is actually the... uh, you know, seeding ground for many of the biggest ideas around organizational development in India. So, when I was there, uh, we did a program, uh, one of the most interesting courses perhaps I've ever done, called Explorations in Roles and Identities and ERI, one of the most popular electives. And at that time, what that course meant was that we just sat around and spoke about ourselves and our lives for five days straight. So, as you can imagine, Uh, It was absolutely different from any of the other programs. uh, But what totally amazed me was how just a few insights were enough to shift people's lives forever. And that's really how I got interested in organizational development as an area. I've been in this area for now, as you said, over 25 years, uh, working with individual. And these days, it's uh, very often top leadership teams. Uh, with organizations or parts of organizations to help them design their culture, their structures, their leadership teams, and even people processes to make them ready for what promises to be an extremely exciting phase of uh, organizations. So that's how I got interested in it. I was searching for something that would, you know, be meaningful and give me the kind of joy you know, joy enough to devote several decades of my life and some ways I think I was rather lucky to have found it uh, fairly early on in my career. So that's a little bit about how I got introduced to the subject. Dr. Shalini, you know, it's really interesting when you
0: say that, you know, this was uh, not a very well-known fact about how people got together and they spoke about their personal lives, right? And it really helped uh, people cross over Many, many um, levels probably of getting to work closer with the, with your colleagues and a successful relationship with a colleague means better, uh, you know, output at work, right? It would be fantastic for our listeners to understand, you know, that there were state rules about being in an office and, uh, you know, things have changed now. You know, I actually come from the background of advertising and we've had a very casual advertising culture. There is no hierarchy in uh, organizations like advertising and yet it is quite a male dominated uh, industry because most of the guys would like to catch up for a drink. And, you know, for a mother like me with a young child, it was very difficult to me uh, to become a part of um, the organizational culture per se. And of course, things have really changed now from before and advertising agencies do not, in inverted commas, have the casual uh, work culture, especially after hashtag MeToo and after a whole lot of other things. Um, And I would imagine that most um, large advertising agencies have got systems in place for them. Uh. Do share with our listeners, according to you, are the organizations in India, you know, that have put forth this entire idea of colleagues getting to know each other, being able to have healthy relationships, a leadership team that can really, uh, you know, inspire the youngsters to work a fair system in which the good guys are rewarded. And it isn't only about what your equation is with your boss.
1: One of the advantages of being in a field for long enough is that you're able to see change as it happens. And you spoke about a little bit about you know, the changes you've observed in the advertising world. Uh, one of the interesting things about the 2020s is that never before have there been that many organizations So at least speak about uh, how building a good organizational culture is almost central to what they do. So, let me say that there are two or three different kinds of organizations in India that seem to be doing a really good job of this. Uh, and almost all of them are organizations which employ a lot of young people. So, for instance, one category is our IT services organizations, uh, you know, the big ones TCS, Wipro, Infosys, and many of the ones who aren't as big as, you know, these three, but are still. Uh, employed many, many hundreds of thousands of young people. Uh, IT services firms have been really good about building cultures that are enabling and, uh, uh, you know, far less, shall I say, authority-driven, far more collegial. Uh, but I'm also seeing, as I interact with a number of startup founders, that a lot of startups, you know, right from... The very early days, Uh, startup founders are putting organizational culture right at the center of what they do, which is actually quite different and quite interesting because back in the day, the idea was that, oh, if you're a founder, you have to get the business successful before you start thinking about organizational culture. But that seems to have changed. Uh, I would say that uh, there are far more founders who seem interested in building a good organization than those who are not. So, you know, I think that's a big shift. But pretty much any organization which has had a large numbers of young people joining uh, seems to be placing a lot more emphasis on the kind of culture that they're building. So I think that's a very, very welcome change.
0: I so agree with you, you know, when you talk about the culture of an organization and why it can be detrimental or it can be one of the greatest catalysts for an employee's growth. You know, if you have a place where you look forward to going to, you know, your output obviously is going to be way better than what it would be if you're not looking forward to going to a place of work.
1: This is something that has been borne out by a lot of research. So, you know, there was a time when people were skeptic and there were many people who would... You know, I've heard positions like, oh, we're here to run a business, (laughs) you know, first, not necessarily keep people happy. But uh, there is some excellent research that almost proves beyond a shadow of doubt that if you have good people practices, your productivity will be higher, your bottom line will be higher. So it isn't really something that is, uh, uh, you know, really up for debate anymore. I think the data is extremely clear. There is very little ambiguity there. So as you said, you know, when you look forward to going to work, uh, it's a completely different day and you're going to be a different professional from if just the thought of getting out of bed and going to work fills you with dread. So that's a huge shift that's happened.
0: You know this is really the need of the hour and what you're doing is so so important uh, for organizations to grow considering you know I am in Bangalore and there's an entire entrepreneurial um, sort of a culture that's here so many youngsters are in the business of startups and uh, it's very interesting just uh, last uh, you know Saturday I met with uh, a guy who's in the nutrition field and he's Got his entire startup. He's moved from Chandigarh and Gurgaon. You know, his uh, founder and co-founder. They've come to Bangalore. And they've hired a house where they've got all their colleagues. And they're all together. They eat together. And and he says that it's fantastic because he's building that structure. Like how you have a family. And I'm a huge believer of that, actually. Because, uh, you know, in my own career in the past when I worked, I had a team that um, would... Just be there with me. In fact, I know it sounds terrible when I say this, but when I quit work, they were all willing to put in their papers and move in with me because they did not have trust, you know, in the new leadership that would come over them. In a way, it was a reiteration of uh, my faith, you know, having integrity, having there to hold your, uh, you know, your team's back. So, you know, it all deals with a lot of personal characters, uh, you know, in the leader, actually. You know, what is it that he or she would Endow and uh, take that forward. Uh, in a country like India, where does one really tap into that? Because we 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 also have a very jugar kind of a mindset somewhere. Absolutely really right.
1: You know, I'll tell you the interesting thing is that uh, I've lived in a few different countries, and one of the things about India is that when you have a team of people together, the extent to which people will You know, go way out of their way to make things happen is pretty unparalleled. So you gave the example of the uh, entrepreneur who's moved from Chandigarh and your own experience. And there are these moments. I won't say that these things necessarily sustain forever, but there are these moments when you have particularly a smallish organization and a handful of committed people who create magic, sheer magic. And that magic happens because of this complete blurring between this is the job role, you know, sort of on paper to this is what we are committed to doing as a higher, you know, something, goal, purpose, call it whatever you want, as this higher thing that we want to do. And in India, we also see that people's sort of personal boundaries melt into each other's quite, quite well to create a team. Again, it's not forever, but for a period in time. And that's really magical. Um, The other point that you brought about, about are we necessarily always creating something that has value for the long term? I think that's a big one because as you said, we are fantastic at putting together something really quickly and something that's good enough. But are we always the best at putting something that is truly, truly excellent and exceptional. Uh, I think we're getting there, but we aren't as far ahead as perhaps some of the other countries are in building excellence over the long term. So I think what we do really well is this whole thing of, you know, we'll move a mountain in a week, which perhaps won't happen in any other country. Will we build the very best mountain? Hmm. We'll see. (laughs) That
0: was so interesting. So can you just discuss your role as the co-founder of Uncube
1: and the services that your organization provides? Oh, happily. So Uncube is founded on the idea. Uncube literally means think outside the box. And uh, the organization was actually uh, conceptualized before the pandemic, although we are a pandemic baby. Uh, See, organizations are going to need to craft themselves extremely differently to deal with uh, what's broadly known as, you know, the fourth industrial revolution or, you know, this whole era of uh, economic transformation because of technology. So we need organizations that have capacity for innovation, agility, uh, to a much much higher degree than organizations have needed in the past. And now, on the one hand, that sounds very simple, but on the other hand, if you want that as an end outcome, you need very different leadership styles. You need very different organizational structures. You need different people practices, uh, and you need leaders as human beings to you know sort of wire themselves a little bit differently. So unCUBE the organization, is about building future-ready organizations. That's all we do. So we work with leaders to help them interpret and understand global trends in the environment to see how does that connect with the work that they do. We help them re-engineer their people practices so that their organization itself has capacities for innovation, agility that are of a much, much higher order. And we help them build the cultures that will sustain these people practices, because otherwise that's just something that stays on paper. So really, that's the mission of Uncube. How do we help organizations craft themselves so that they become the kind of organizations needed for the future, which is organizations that are really able to think much faster than organizations of the past and build stuff that's fantastic, innovative, innovative. And fast. Let's talk a little about your weekly LinkedIn live
0: sessions. And what are the kind of topics that you cover if somebody was to come in and
1: learn a little bit more from your work? Thank you. You know, originally the show started with the uh, idea that there's so much that's changing in so many different fields. So, for instance, there'll be a future of advertising. You know, there'll be a future of uh, podcasts. There'll be a future of, say, any field. There's a future that's emerging because you know, the world is changing so fast. So can we bring in people who understand one piece of that future? Because the future is like gigantic. There's absolutely nobody in the world who understands it all. But can we get in someone who understands a piece of it to speak about what seem to be the ideas that are emerging, either in an industry or within a function? So we've had so many sessions, of course, on people-related practices, because that is my core area of focus. But we have also sessions around, you know, future of marketing, robotics, artificial intelligence, analytics. And how is all of this impacting uh, both the way leaders have to think and the way organizations are going to be created? So that's the intent to spread some of the best ideas about the future out there. So Shalini,
0: you're also an author. So can you discuss your first book, The Secret Life of Organizations? And what inspired you to write it? My stupidity
1: inspired me to write it, frankly. Of course not. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you what. When I joined my very first job, I think I was the most naive management trainee in the world. And uh, I got into an enormous amount of trouble because I wasn't able to read organizational signals well enough. In fact, I didn't even realize that they were meant to be read. I was too literal in my understanding of what organizations did. And this is in spite of having studied OB you know, as a functional area. So I wrote this book to help young professionals navigate the organizational world, because uh, there might be people like me who enter without having necessarily a mentor to help them understand, OK, how do you navigate an organizational hierarchy? How do you set yourself up for success within an organization? How do you read its culture? How do you know what are the unwritten rules of that place? What will get you promoted and what will get you sidelined? So that's the kind of topics that I cover in the book. How do
0: you envision the future of organizations and what advice would you give to leaders to stay ahead?
1: I'll start with the second because they are connected. So leaders to get ahead now need to master three very, very different sets of skills. The first is a future scanning. And future scanning is all about, you know, understanding how the domains which they're working in are moving, how the client's needs are shifting. Uh, sometimes even things like how geopolitics will impact their industry. And that's true for, you know, industries where, for instance, supply chains are massive, etc. So how do you read signals? Because... When change is faster than the past, which is absolutely the case going ahead, uh, you need to be able to read the signs of change proactively. And you can't wait for that change to come to your doorstep. So one of the predictions is that in the next four years, we will see as much change as we did in 100 years. So that's a lot. Technological change. To be able to, you know, keep pace with that isn't going to just happen. It's going to need a whole set of skills. And, you know, in fact, there's an emerging science on that called futures thinking to be able to read signals, interpret them and work with them. So that's one set of skills. The second set of skills, which is quite different, is how do you build organizations which now, now that you're reading some signals, are truly innovative and are able to solve problems in a completely different way from what you know, has been done traditionally because as businesses get disrupted left, right, and center, and, you know, we're seeing so many of those fears play out in the tech world over the last few, you know, last few weeks, uh, you need to be far more innovative and agile and nimble. So that means constructing the organization absolutely differently. So that's the second set of skills. And finally, it's about uh, you personally as a leader, because all that, change and uncertainty is can be extremely stressful unless you are personally prepared for it at a very very individual level and that itself is a third set of skills so leaders you know their jobs aren't getting any easier in fact uh, you know they're getting much harder much faster than any of us would have been prepared for and uh, it's a whole journey of upskilling
0: For all of us. So it would be very interesting, Shalini, if you can just share with us some success stories, you know, with leaders that you have gone through, and you don't need to name them, but maybe one incident that will help also our listeners understand that sometimes I'm sure in your field of work you would face a lot of. Uh, You know, uh, people may not be opening up, you know, to changes because they have been working in a very staid, uh, archaic sort of mindset environment, you know, and for them to recognize that there is um, a few red flags that need to be addressed uh, and maybe some of them are towards directed towards them. It's human nature probably at, at a senior position to not acknowledge those things. How do you break those barriers for them to open up and talk to you? An example, if you could just share.
1: Yeah. So I'll start by saying that there needs to be at least some level of openness to start off with. Otherwise, they won't even work with us. So by the time we are working with a partner, uh, you know, there's at least there's a little bit of a window open that, yeah, there's something missing here. And or that we we recognize that we're really good today, but we want to be even better tomorrow. So some sense of, okay, we want we want something else to get there. Now, from there on, there are two or three different routes it can take. There are some leaders right at the top who are actually pretty proactive, very interestingly, very aware, very, very conscious that, you know, whatever they've done in the past is not going to be enough for the future. They understand things are changing. They aren't quite sure how to deal with it, either at a personal level or at an organizational level. But then it's relatively easy because you've got that opening. You know, there's that recognition that there are things to be different. So you can proceed in a very systematic way, you know, doing an organizational diagnosis and what are the capabilities, structures, ecosystems, et cetera, et cetera. But then, and I think this is what you are referring to, there is also that small section of leaders who who aren't quite sure that this is true or is this real? Do we really have to change? Haven't things worked well for so long? And I found working one-on-one as a coach is often what does the trick. As I said, there needs to be an addition, an initial opening at least. But if that opening is there, then, then if we work with them over a few months, we do see their own ideas begin to transform and change. Of course, we bring in examples of other organizations but we also tap into you know their very 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 personal ways of looking at the world and how some of that may need shifting my god this is
0: amazing shalini shalini would you tell me a little about the upcoming projects or initiatives that you know you're very excited about and you'd like to share with my listeners (laughs) oh thanks well
1: so this year one of the things we are super excited about doing is helping organizations uh with a diagnostic of how future ready they actually are. So while that's something we you know do as you know in projects but what we are doing is creating a rubric so that organizations can measure themselves against each other how future ready are they really to what extent does their culture support innovation agility to what extent uh, are they reading the signs of the future in the external environment correctly? To what extent are leaders themselves geared towards, uh, you know, being future focused? So so that's, uh, you know, something we're really excited about. Along with this organizational diagnostic will be a diagnostic that individual leaders can take so that they can move along their own personal journey of uh, being ready for a very different tomorrow from anything they've experienced so far.
0: Thank you, Dr. Shalini Lal. This was fantastic for me. This was personally one of my favorite podcasts uh, in this entire week because organizational behavior and uh, how people need to feel productive is a topic that's very close to my heart because I do come you know with a huge amount of experience in companies that were large, in companies that were small, boutique creative firms and Uh, you know a few companies that I even today go back and want to meet up with their CEOs and a few I don't want to see them ever again you know (laughs) So this is so close to my heart And I think, uh, you know, it's so important For Uncubed to start discussing this And this will eventually become An absolute integral part of a success story For any organization I really truly believe in that And just for our listeners You know, the client needs are shifting As Dr. Shalini Lal said With geopolitics, one needs to read the signals Because change is the only constant Thank you Dr. Shalini Lal for being on today's podcast Thank you so much for having me.
1: Delighted.
0: To you, our dearest listeners, you can find us on your favorite streaming services, Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcast, and of course on all other major streaming services. With loads of love, we are The Mohua Show, where we talk Iman se.